0: Hey, It's All True Listeners. Happy holidays. This is the first ever bonus episode of the podcast, and it's kind of an experiment to see if people are interested in hearing the extended versions of my interviews with guests. My name is Tim Barnes, and in each episode of the podcast, I interview great guests and have them reveal headlines for a funny, personal, true story. Episodes are usually cut down to about 15 to 20 minutes, and there are a lot of weird, amazing bits that get cut out, like this little moment with Jonathan Katz. Uh, Let me try something with you. Tim, if you could hold your own tongue and tell me your name and how how you did de- how you decided to pursue this podcast while you are holding your tongue, while ho- holding my tongue, yeah. Okay, my name is uh, Tim Barnes. I started this, this uh, podcast uh, because I really enjoy talking to people, and I f- feel like the best part of that. uh... Yeah, I can't understand a word you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this episode features moments from my conversation with comedian Wyatt Tanak that were cut out of episode 35. You may remember Wyatt as a correspondent for The Daily Show, but he also recently released a vinyl record slash Netflix special titled Brooklyn. You'll get to hear him talk about who his comedic influences are, and I asked him to dissect this particular moment in the special that I found to be very moving. He talks about his father, who was a New York cab driver and was killed on the job when Wyatt was just a little kid. And it was interesting how he used comedy to tell the story. Keep all that in mind as you listen, and I hope you enjoy. Uh, who who inspired you
1: uh, uh, stand-up-wise? There are a lot of people from a stand-up perspective. I mean, I think... When I first started just even entertaining the idea, the people that I would watch, people like Bill Cosby or Eddie Murphy or Jerry Seinfeld, as I got a little older and I could watch Pryor, I would watch Richard Pryor. And then when I got to a place where I was like, oh, okay, I want to study this, then I just consumed a lot. I remember I listened to Richard Jenny a lot. I I loved listening to Richard Jenny because he just just seemed like a master of words. And Ellen DeGeneres was another person, just the effortlessness through which she told a story and could sort of go on a tangent and then come right back. And people think of her now more from her daytime talk show. But as a stand-up comedian, she was really so amazing. Like one of the best in her time and probably still great. I think if she wanted to put out a special today, I think she'd crush. It's just strange because, you know, in that same way, when people talk about Steve Martin, I think Ellen, I kind of put Ellen in the same category with Steve Martin or with Eddie Murphy in that here you have these talented stand-up comedians who. Could get on a stage and command a stage in just such an impressive way, and then walked away from it, <laughs> and are successful in a whole nother realm. But for the person who watched them and and studied them and you know probably nerded out on them on some level, there's an element of it that's like, um, oh, you're out of like you should be back doing this because. You were, oh, that was so great. It's, (laughs) you know, it's like when somebody, I'm sure there are people who, you know, when a band breaks up and this person goes off to their solo career and it's like, oh, you know, Justin, you're great on your own, but I really just wish NSYNC would get back together. (laughs) There's at least one person saying that, you know, for the record, I, I wanted to acknowledge Sarah Silverman because she was somebody that i saw when she worked on her special i saw her in la and she would i was living there at the time and she would go to the the hollywood improv on melrose almost every night and i was there i was there almost every night because i was hanging out hoping to get spots i would see sarah come in night after night And she was working on her special, Jesus Magic. And I would just watch her. And she'd come in and she'd do the same material night after night, week after week, months. And you'd see it do well. You'd see it go not so well sometimes. You'd see just everything in between. And to watch her just hammer this thing into shape and into the shape that she wanted to then put it in front of an audience as a as a special for wide release it was something that i just learned i learned so much from and that stayed with me because i saw the direct i saw i saw it from sort of ground up to completion and that was one of the best classrooms i could have ever had have you seen the the uh, Richard Pryor documentary on Showtime? Uh, on Mythologic? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I always think about that scene where they show him bombing. Right. Uh, and it's mind-blowing. I never thought I'd ever see footage like that. I never knew that happened. That
1: Richard Pryor bombed? Yeah, for the first taping of uh, Live, Live on the Sunset, Sunset Trip. trip. Yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing. It's, But it's also, I think it goes back to that idea that this is, this is an exchange between performer and audience. And so it's kind of, it's kind of the flip side. It's kind of the flip side of of the thing that, you know, we always talk about comedians can bomb, audiences can bomb too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you, you never really think about it like that. But the club audience that comes in, where 30 patrons are a bachelor or bachelorette party, or are all office mates that are, you know, that just got off a party bus, that's a crowd that's going to bomb. <laughs> and that doesn't, I don't think people really, you know, because the crowd doesn't collectively, then all 200 of them walk out together and just say, like, oh, we really sh- the bed on that one (laughs) we have to wash that off and go see another show all of us right now (laughs) so I I think those things work in conjunction with each other and to see him do that I, I think it just speaks to that relationship that for whatever reason he didn't feel on top of his game that night but I think some of that too was whatever he was getting from the audience it wasn't flowing right. Yeah, it just it it was it was like a bad date. Mm-hmm. These two individuals just didn't get along. They were both excited, both excited to have dinner together <laughs> It just didn't just yeah. didn't end up back at their place. I got to go to Madison, Wisconsin a couple nights ago and I was on Conan earlier this week and not to brag, it sounds like it, but <laughs> I was on Conan and so one of the things we talked about on Conan was I was going to Madison, Wisconsin and it just so happened that the night I was performing in Madison, Dave Chappelle was also performing in Madison and I was just sort of joking about how Nobody was going to come see my show because <laughs> my show had been announced and then Dave's got announced and I just imagined all these people basically trying to refund their tickets to go see Chappelle. I joked about it and then I went to do my show and my show was at this great place, the Majestic Theater. It's, you know, a couple hundred people, really cool venue, very intimate. The show was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the show. And so, it was, yeah, probably like 200 or something like that people, a couple hundred. So I get off my show. One of the owners of the Majestic comes back and says, hey, do you want to go do a guest spot on Dave's Late Show? So I was like, all right. Go to, Dave, uh, to the Dave Chappelle show at the Orpheum Theater. Much bigger venue, a couple thousand people. Go do that. Also a lot of fun. Great crowd. And it was interesting to do the two back-to-back, same night, minutes apart, to get off stage for 200 people and then get on stage for 2,000. And for me, I much preferred 200. And that, I think the more that I've been able to do this and especially do it in a way where... I can draw my own crowd. I, l- I like the intimacy of it. And so if I get that intimacy, I think that also perhaps encourages me to be a bit more open. In front of 2,000 people, I'm not necessarily going to go to places that I would for 100 or 200.
0: Is it easier to do the uh, portion about your your dad and a smaller audience?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that would not... That would not be something that I think, you know, I I, I would not do that in, in front of a super big audience. I, and not, that's not to say I wouldn't. That's not true. I might, just out of the challenge. I mean, I, I've kind of stopped doing that bit. I, I think doing it for the special, and that was part of the reason I wanted to shoot the special, was to kind of— at least for that that thing say okay I've done this and I don't want to do this particular bit so much that it becomes rote yeah I don't I don't want it to lose some of the 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 real emotion behind it and I think again that kind of goes back to the idea of for me why I I maybe like to still do stuff when it's you know when the cement hasn't dried
0: uh is that a joke is i don't even know if that's a joke that portion is that something where <laughs> do you know what i mean i mean do you do you feel hurt if it doesn't get a laugh or is it just kind of it feels like a moment like like i don't know what your expectations are necessarily I'm, by the end of it
1: i mean i feel like it's a story with jokes yeah and that's perhaps how i look at some of the longer things I do is that they are stories with jokes. And so is there, is there a big punchline? I think so. I think there are some big punchlines or bigger punchlines in the overall story. Is there a greater takeaway from it? You know, I haven't necessarily thought that hard about it. <laughs> I, I I think for me it's, oh, I have this story and it has, you know, a beginning, middle, and end and what it means to me. And within it, here are some sort of silly jokes. Here are some bigger jokes. Here are some moments that are just moments to sort of elicit a response and and that too i think is part of that's part of the interesting thing about that particular that particular bit for me was even in doing it it gets small in that there's a moment where even in talking about it you take some of the air out of the room and As the person who is on stage, who is controlling or, you know, maybe not controlling, but directing the path of where this show goes, can I take the air out of the room and then put it back? There's something about it that's both a challenge as a comedian, but also this stuff is built in emotion. It's built in in something that you feel, something that has some reality to it whether it's me talking about that or whether it's Jerry Seinfeld talking about socks in a washing machine you know there there's a realness to it there's a real emotion if it's you know socks in a or sorry socks in a dryer you know that's frustration there are things in my life that have been sad and i have found in my own life if I can mine that sadness for humor, and if I can mine it in a way that allows me to see it as more than just the sadness, I think it's healthier. <laughs> I think it's. I think it. I. I think it's better for me. And so, if I can do that personally, oh maybe I can do it on stage as well, and maybe it has some effect on somebody other than myself in that same way. That, oh, I can draw somebody in in this way, and then we can sort of release the tension together. I think when I first started trying to talk about that on stage, I remember saying something about it, and, you know, I think... Saying a joke within it, and some somebody in the audience, this guy who was sitting like in the front row, just got really hurt, but hurt in a way where it felt like I was talking about his dad, <laughs> it was kinda of like dude it's not your and I and I said to him I was like it's not your dad like <laughs> I'm fine I'm standing right here yeah, this like, isn't an allegory this yeah <laughs> and so so in that way I think that's part of it too is that oh yeah that's it, it forces you the challenge of that then is okay I see how this affects people and you have to do it in a right way so that yeah you don't I feel like the last thing the last thing i want and the thing that always drives me crazy is when you say something and a crowd is like Aww. oh yeah i like even for this thing and it's strange because i i realize you know being in more intimate settings and talking about personal things you are asking people to be empathetic but at the same time the empathy that i'm asking from them is one that can allow for them to laugh and allow for them to see beyond the pain and recognize that, oh, okay, if he's on stage, he's okay with this. Yeah, <laughs> and that's I think I think on some level that's the challenge is to get on a stage and basically say, no, no, I'm okay. How do you react to the ah? Oh, I get mad. I get mad. I I get I get so annoyed. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're trying they're trying to to
0: parent you almost like they're trying to
1: Well, it's one of those things where you like, on the back. Yeah, but it's one of those things uh, it's like don't f***ing awe. like I'm I'm not going to get off stage and you're not going to give me a hug and suck my d- so <laughs> shut up. Like don't. Like you like your compassion only goes as far as that seat you're in, <laughs> it is not going to get up and walk me home. It is not going to pat me on the back. It is not going to pay my rent. It is <laughs> simply compassion in this moment that is false. And and so it just feels patronizing to me uh-huh. because it just feels like, you know, that thing of, oh, I feel bad. Well, what are you gonna do about it? It's a passive, it's a passive feeling. It's not you're not about to get up and walk on stage and hug me and be like, "I'll love you." Like you don't. Yeah. So, and it's not like they said it at the end of the bit either. They no, said it. No, they said it within, and it's so it's just yeah. So I, I have, yeah. I have zero tolerance for it. <laughs>
0: If you enjoyed this bonus episode of It's All True, please let me know. You can tweet the show at AllTruePodcast or email us at itsalltruepodcast at gmail.com. It's All True is a production of WBEZ Chicago and The Whiskey Journal. The show is produced by me, I, myself, Tim Barnes, Joe Dessau, Patrick Burns, Iris Lynn, and me, Tim Barnes. For more updates on this show and other wonderful WBZ podcasts, visit wbez.org podcasts. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you.